This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. In the meantime, space junk is a big problem and there is, this will surprise you, a lot of it floating around up there. So why does it need to be cleaned up and how does one even go about doing that? Scott Sutherland is with us. Scott is a meteorologist and science writer for the Weather Network who spends a lot of time on this topic. Scott, thanks for joining us. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. Uh, So talk to us about, before we get to space junk, which is why we're here to talk to you about uh, today, uh, let's get a moment of your thoughts on this rather marked day, this 50th anniversary of the moon landing. Significance 50 years later, Scott. Uh, 50 years later, I mean, it has a lot of significance just for the fact that we did it. I mean, the fact that we actually have had people stand on the surface of another planetary body in our solar system is in itself amazing. I mean, the fact that we were able to accomplish that with the technology we had at the time, which was seemed like it was sending people in a tin can compared to what we use these days. Uh, but, I mean, the technology we got from it was, uh, it still reaches to these, this day. Um, the only thing is that when we look at wh- how we're traveling in space now, we've kind of regressed back because we haven't gone anywhere past low Earth orbit since then. But still, um, it's something that we can still look to to say, hey, we've been there, we've done that, and we have to go back now, and that's what we're looking to do in the future. Exactly. It's the inspiration factor for 50 years. It really has been a factor, too, hasn't it, Scott? Uh, I mean, it amazed people. It's inspired so many people, like Chris Hadfield himself, Canadian commander of the space station, mm-hmm. uh, he, he was inspired by Apollo 11, uh, having watched it, and that he drew him to be an astronaut himself. Uh, Bill Nye, as well, did the same thing. He worked for NASA with the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, putting robots on Mars. And it was all be- based on his watching of the, the Apollo 11 mission at the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the technology that we've gotten from it, uh, the, and that the advancements in the space program, and that we've stuck with the space program, and gotten advancements like the cell phones that we use every day now, yeah, wouldn't be around if it wasn't for the space program. Interesting stuff. Now, Apollo 11 yeah. and subsequent visitors to the moon did leave behind, well, shall we say, bits of space junk. And this is something you've written extensively about, Scott. Let's talk a little yeah. bit about the amount of junk, human-created debris now floating about in outer space. How much is there? Oh, uh, Sterling, there is a lot, a lot of stuff up there. <laughs> Um, as of now, the estimates of the individual number of objects, uh, this is anywhere from one millimeter up to satellite size, is over 120 million objects. And these are, but, all, these are all human-derived objects, too, correct? Yes. These are all bits of junk, bits of, of, of debris that have broken off of rockets, satellites, they are, sometimes they are full rockets themselves that sure. are still floating up there from when they launched. Satellites that have been uh, decommissioned or damaged so that they're, they're not working anymore. Uh, yeah, and, and I mean, that, like I said, that's anywhere larger than one millimeter. Now, when you get up larger, the number drops. So anything above 10 centimeters, like about the size of a softball, you've got about 34,000 objects. Um, 
and there's only about 2,000 operational satellites. So you can see exactly how much of that 34,000 is actually junk just floating up there from... Some of them are weird objects like a lost wrench or a, right, sure, a yeah. tool bag that floated away during a, during a, a, space a, a spacewalk. Yeah. But um, there, yes, there is a lot of stuff up there, and uh, we, don't, we can't actually track all of it. We can track maybe mm, 20, 22,000 objects, I think was the last estimate or the last uh, record that they had. That, that's the objects we know of, that we, can, we know where they are, uh, they, we can detect them and tell s- satellites and the space station to move to avoid them if necessary. But that's 22,000 out of 120 million. Exactly. Now, Scott, you just touched on something, though, that Hollywood has had much to do with this in our imaginations. They're creating yeah. p- movie plots wherein someone aboard some kind of space vessel is threatened by uh, either a, a comet or, or some man-made object. How dangerous, to follow on that Hollywood theme, how dangerous to a, a space station like the ISS are these bits of human debris floating around out there? Uh, well, um, they, they say that the, the greatest risk to all the space missions up there, especially the ISS, are, are any objects that are maybe between 1 centimeter and 10 centimeters. The little guys. In size. Yeah, because we don't know where they are, yeah. and they're just randomly flying around Earth at, um, oh, anywhere like around 30,000 kilometers an hour. And if a if a if a something the size of a softball, or say that wrench that was lost mm-hmm. uh, during one of the uh, the spacewalks, hits the space station going at thirty thousand kilometers per hour, it's going to do a lot of damage. And the space station is designed to mitigate those impacts of, with the the design of the skin of the station and so forth. Sure. But um, but Commander Hadfield himself. Uh, about halfway or so into his mission, spotted a hole in one of the solar panels of the ISS. And it was probably about a bullet-sized object. And that, it could have been a meteoroid just flying past Earth, and it just happened to you know, randomly strike the space station. But mm-hmm. it's very much likely that it could easily have been a piece of space debris that we put there that smacked into the solar panel and put this noticeable hole in it. Interesting stuff. Now, here's the easy question for me to ask. I suspect the response will be much more difficult. How do you clean this stuff up, Scott? A hundred million little bits of of, of, uh, debris and junk flying around there, some of them much larger. How How do we, humanity, go about beginning even to clean that mess up? Uh, well, the first thing is knowing about them, and that th- knowing those twenty thousand objects, uh, you know, minus the two thousand that, that that are actually functional satellites that we want to stay up there, um, uh, we have to know where they are. Very first of all, and and so getting better and better tracking systems uh, in place to to tell where these things are, so that we can you know actually spy them and know that where uh, where to aim, whatever. The methods we have of removal, right. but even but only now we're getting into. So they've been tracking them all along, I should say. Mm-hmm. But now we're getting into actual methods of removal, active removal, because usually we just wait for it to just strike the top of the atmosphere and burn up and so forth, and we track it until it does that. 
but now it's we want to send stuff up to start actively cleaning these things out, out of orbit. And so some are just, it's a rocket that has still some propellant on board, and so they activate it and make it thrust down towards the atmosphere and burn up. Uh, that's probably the easiest of the methods to do it. Um, but now we're looking at methods like uh, laser removal. And this isn't like... Um, uh, Moonraker, where where you send up a shuttle. <laughs> That's right. With with a laser with a laser cannon on the. Front. I remember this, that. Yep. Yeah, uh, and uh, that was a great scene of the mm-hmm. movie, but <laughs> a little a little bit too far beyond what we're really thinking of here. But right. say um, if you put a tracking station in Australia, in the middle of the the, the the desert there, and you hook up a laser to it, you can track these objects, and as they fly over the 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 continent they can fire the laser at the object and they're they're firing at it in the in the in a head-on collision so you're firing it's coming towards you and you're firing at it as it's doing so and the light pressure from the laser will slow the object down and it will it will take several passes but as that object passes around earth taking oh about 90 minutes to uh, to an hour to do so they keep hitting it every time they see it they track it and, and hit that object with the laser and it'll eventually slow down and slow down and slow down until it drops into the atmosphere and then it'll burn up. Interesting. I've got, yeah, got to leave it there because in the interest of time, I'm fresh out of it. But you know, that right. as, as you describe this to us, it sounds very primitive, but it also sounds like the conversation we had at the beginning of this chat because 50 years ago when we landed on the moon, you said yourself, the equipment, the gear we used by today's standards, incredibly primitive. So here we are 50 years later, Repeating the process again, Scott, this time with a, a, a focus and a purpose uh, that is going to, I think, inspire some real solutions. Thank you for this today. Great to speak to you. Uh, enjoy the weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yep, thanks, you, um, uh, Sterling. And, uh, yeah, you enjoy the weekend, too. Scott Sutherland is a meteorologist and science writer with The Weather Network.